how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is Ryan Staley, your host, and I have Kurt Daniel on. Kurt is the is a software and SaaS executive with experience at Microsoft, Parallels, Worklight, which was acquired by IBM, and MongoDB. He helped build, lead, and scale three startups now worth $35 billion. Not with an M, with a B, billion. He's currently the CEO at Ubersmith, which is a growing and profitable provider of subscription management for the cloud, including turnkey subscription building monitoring, ticketing, and more. He's also an independent board member and advisor uh, with experience at Code Climate, IVEX, Klug, which was acquired by Facebook, Lightyear, QuickSave, RainSphere, Wonderflow, and others. Kurt, happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I, I There's so many things we're, that we're going to dig into today. Uh, you have, obviously, an amazing experience in terms of, of all the, the areas that you've dug into in terms of the startup world. So can you share with everyone your superhero origin story, um, just to give a little more depth to the intro I provided? Uh, superhero origin story, interesting. Uh, I uh, hope I can handle this one. Um, well, I don't know, it was, uh, I'm a twin brother, uh, starting very young, and then uh, from, from there I got into business early, did some kind of hustling in middle school and high school uh, in terms of uh, odd jobs around the neighborhood, that kind of thing, and then uh, working for others, and then, um, uh, went into consulting uh, after uh, after college, uh, where I started, studied economics uh, and other things. And then uh, from consulting, I decided to focus on tech. So made a great decision over 20 years ago to focus on tech uh, very, uh, very early on in my career. Uh, went to Microsoft first uh, and uh, just really appreciated the history, um, the mentorship, the thoughtfulness in terms of long-term planning with you know, products and packaging and pricing and partnerships and uh, business models and that kind of thing, uh, and then took that after four great years of learning to to uh, take a risk and do three different startups in a row, uh, where I joined after the founders uh, started the company, uh, but fairly early on in each case. Um, and so all three of those uh, we uh, we made successful. One almost failed, and that was a lot of work, but helped them find product market fit uh, even after they had raised a lot of money. Uh, and then uh, the other two were more. One was more of just a pure kind of growth and scale up story. Uh, where they had some product market fit, and then the other one was a, a true rocket ship. That was MongoDB, which was called TenGen at the time. Uh, and so, really, three different experiences. Super grateful to have uh, even just one startup experience. I think everyone should have at least one startup experience in their career, uh, even if it's brief or as an advisor, for example. Uh, and then from there, I joined uh, what's what was more of a bootstrap company in my first uh, CEO role, uh, and that was Ubersmith uh, seven years ago. And I really helped grow and scale the company and uh, do so many new things and, and make it uh, highly profitable and, and um, you know, much bigger. And then uh, leading to earlier this year, actually successfully selling the company and getting the second exit actually for the company. This is the second time we've actually been sold. Um, and so that was, that was super exciting. And then uh, everything else I've been involved in has, uh, has been fun. It's been hard work, but uh, a lot of challenges. Um, the SaaS market is competitive and global and uh, but it's exciting and and uh, super rewarding as well, and I'm uh, just uh, just great to uh, talk to you and and um, and share some of those experiences. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, that's 
that's an amazing background and there's there's so many different areas we could dig in so you know to start off i guess and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna and i this is totally unscripted i'm going off script man <clears throat> um but based on your unique background i think what would you say is the single most important thing when trying to go from zero to one million in revenue zero to one million yeah it's it's uh i mean the team is pretty small typically um uh, so it's it's a small team. You need to kind of trust each other, and you're working hard, and and you're um, you're, you're you hopefully have identified the customer pain, and you have some sort of solution, uh, whether it's an MVP and a plus or minus. Um, and so it's really you're you're in the trenches, and and um, you know unless you get lucky, which occasionally happens, but you can't count on. Uh, it's usually it's usually hard work, and there's uncertainty, and there's uh, some risk, and uh, yeah, it's just really just. Um, innovating, focusing on the customers. And uh, if you don't have something that's a hit right away, finding it as quickly as possible or turning or, or kind of switching a little bit or even doing like a big pivot like uh, like Slack did or, or, or others, uh, which are famous for. Even Mongo had, a, had, to, had to do a, a pivot where they were do, building all this stuff, but then they decided to just focus on the database where customers were really interested in that, in that one piece primarily. Um, Worklight, we did multiple pivots. So yeah, I'd say if it's one word, it's probably going to be a, a pivot unless you get lucky. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully you get lucky. And, um, and uh, yeah, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a very exciting time, but it can be extremely, uh, extremely difficult. And, and um, I've been involved with obviously multiple companies that have gone through that. And it's, uh, it's different every single time. So it's unpredictable. It's different, um, you know, um, get, get help from other people and, don't try to do it all by yourself or in your own head, uh, especially with your team. Uh, be very kind of open with them and share the challenges, and um, they'll hopefully help help you uh, as the founder or CEO uh, get there get there faster. Okay, I, I think that's I mean that's great advice in terms of transparency, and then in terms of adapting until you kind of hit that sweet spot, right? Um, so I love that. What what's the biggest mistake you see founders make at that stage? Uh, so many. The biggest one I've personally <laughs> seen that's been the most painful uh, is they build way too much. So they just try to build way too much. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I saw a startup recently that wanted to build like four or five applications and a platform. Um, usually you're supposed to build an application and then maybe build a platform later. Uh, but they want to build the platform and the application and actually these other applications. I'm like, you really need to pick one. I don't I don't care which one it is. Uh, your customers probably do, uh, so you should ask them. But um, validate it. But uh, yeah, that's the biggest thing I, I see. The other one is um, just uh, um, uh, just not having a good kind of maybe go to market um, idea just early on. So it's it's about the the zero to one million and before. It's about the the MVP and the customer pain and the solution. Uh, but it's also about finding people to actually talk to the talk to to, to about that to then get that adoption. So. Uh, some founders are really natural about this. They already know dozens of startup friends who are already willing to kind of give feedback, sign up for the MVP and the early list and that kind of thing. And and um, those startups tend to do um, pretty well. Um, and so, yeah, really, really thinking about that go to market really early on is, I think, something that's missed uh, missed a lot as well. But I would say the the biggest thing is building too much, and then you run out of money, or you build too much of the wrong thing. And you run out of money because it's too expensive to switch, and your investors, you know, they don't trust you anymore because you tried to go uh, build something uh, too big, and then you know, not listening. Like um, someone says, you're building too much. They don't listen. They build it anyways, and you know, it's not fun to say I told you so, especially when you're a stockholder, stock option holder, <laughs> or an investor in the company, or they're for your friends, and you just want them to be successful. 
Well, how many startups do you ha have you advised? Uh, dozens. So formally and informally, formally uh, probably around a dozen as a board member advisor, um, and then another dozen or so informally, and then another few dozen people just will reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn or through a connection and ask me to review pitch decks, which uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I quite enjoy looking at, um, even if there's no real benefit for me, I just enjoy looking at it. And I've seen so many and I've helped, you know, MongoDB and, and, and every other company I've worked at either, you know, raise money or sell, sell the company. And so I, in as a, having a strong marketing background and, and, and strategy background, I just, I love the overall story and how to make it look and how to be specific and how to tell a great story, but don't, you know, don't stretch the truth too far and that kind of stuff. So I, I love just looking at these pitch decks and, and, uh, and that kind of thing as well. Okay, so that's that's a massive amount of experiences and that you've had. So, what would you say? And I know this is a totally loaded question, so don't <laughs> slap me, Kurt. All right, but what what would you think? What do you think is the best go to market strategy? Is it sales? Is it product led? Sales led? Is it marketing led? Ah, that's a great question. I think it, it maybe it depends on the space you're in, um, and it, it depends on your on your team who you have on your team. Although you can. If you decide your strategy is different, you can obviously hire people who are you know better at one or the other. I personally, my personal uh, choice, which is actually kind of uh, the market's kind of have, has been moving this way, which is kind of you know convenient and, and nice for me. But I personally like product and marketing led. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see people really talk about it that way. So obviously, there's product led growth, um, and even I feel a little bit weird when I say that, but it's just helpful because other people say it that way. But um, not trying to use uh, overused words, but it's 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 maybe. Uh, be starting to become overused, but product led growth. And then I like marketing led growth. And then, uh, obviously, um, there's, uh, there's sales led growth as well, but I like starting with product and, you know, the pricing, which is part of the product and, um, and then the go to market, the marketing, like how are you actually going to get the word out there from a bottoms up kind of freemium or open source strategy, if that's appropriate or, uh, content or, or whatever, whatever it is. But I like product and marketing led. If I'm allowed to choose to, uh, if I'm allowed to only choose one, I'll take product-led growth um, and we'll build around that because that's what you're starting with in terms of customer pain and customer solution. But if you allow it, Brian, this one time at least, I would like <laughs> product and, and marketing-led. And then every everybody else at the company supports growth. Everyone, the support reps who are getting feedback from customers or prospects who can help us improve the solution you know, uh, super, super fast because we listened and we cared and we put the work in to get it to the right person at the company uh, who can act on that that super important feedback or insight. Um, so yeah, it's a, a product and marketing led uh, growth, but the whole company uh, being part of it and not just the only focus being on product or marketing. And uh, no, I think that's, that's a great, that's, that's great feedback. And so I guess my question is like, why and what, what dollar amounts do you think that those fit best in? Because there's a lot of debate right now on this. So I'd love to hear your take because I mean I I've yeah. seen it work in all all different scenarios. So um, I, I tend to like products that are kind of you know bottoms up that any size organization can use anywhere in the world. I think I got spoiled early on at Microsoft where we had just all these customers like consumers, small business, medium business, large business, government, nonprofit, education. Every basically, I'm sure Microsoft software is used in every country in the world legally legally or not, uh, but. Uh, but basically got spoiled with that. And, and so every, I, I would be disappointed if I just worked at a company that just sold to extremely large uh, enterprises, for example, uh, or just to large governments or just to large uh, 
um, telcos or that kind of thing. So I, I like this kind of bottoms up and that means you need a product that's very usable and it just works. So you turn it on, it works. Um, you know, you don't need professional services or extensive training just to like for our software, it's billing software just to send your first invoice should be uh, out of the box bottoms up. Um, I, you know, ideally with like a freemium model, if you can figure out how to limit it, um, you know, which is not, it's not rocket science, uh, you know, start limiting it. You know, I would say, you know, pretty limited, make it pretty limited. And then you can obviously make it more generous, but if you make it really generous and then take away, you people may not trust you. So, um, so that's, uh, that's what I would say in terms of, yeah, I like this kind of bottoms up. Um, and, but other companies, you know, there's a lot of good account-based marketing going on with large companies and, uh, there's some some really good um, sales, uh, kind of sales-led growth you can do with large companies and, and I'm sure other size companies as well. Um, that's not my area of expertise, you know, uh, really specially, specializing on sales for the very largest companies, say with 10,000 or more employees. Uh, but there are other people who are really, really, really great at that. Um, and so, yeah, the different types of companies need different things. And, um, but I, yeah, I like ones where, um, where, yeah, you start with any size company, kind of like a Salesforce early on. Uh, or Slack, it can be used by any size company, but they also have these enormous accounts as well. Yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, I'm I'm more that I mean that's more my specialty. Sales go to market, mm-hmm. and so I always love hearing all different sides of it because I know there's nuances to everyone, top down, bottom up. Absolutely. So um, so that's great perspective. So so okay. So now we're at a million in revenue. Okay. What's what's the the best path? Um, or I should say, let me ask you this. What's the biggest mistake that you see founders making or organizations, startups making when they want to go from one to 10 million? One to 10. Okay. Uh, it's uh, sometimes they launch an, a second product too early on. Um, so, I mean, ideally you can take your first product and get to not just uh, one, but maybe 10 and maybe a hundred million, maybe even, you know, if you want to think really big, uh, uh, you know, to a billion in revenue. Um, but you know, that doesn't always work. If you're serving more of a niche market, you might want to offer them a kind of a collection of, of two or three products that are nicely integrated. Um, there's mm-hmm. some good success stories for this. That helps, I think, particularly well with like small business. Um, if you're maybe only focused on small business. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's what I would, uh, that's what I'd say there. Okay. And when, what would you define as too early then? Like when someone adds a new product, like what would you define as too early or what's kind of that point? Uh, it, it, I think it depends, but, uh, if it's, it might be too early if you're in the single digit millions, um, Mm -hmm. but it might not be that it really depends. Okay. So, um, so, and and some of it is, uh, there's so many different uh, mistakes I see. Like one is just, um, not forecasting like rep sales rep productivity. So you, you have like your first, you know, million in, in sales or whatever, and maybe a lot of the founder CEO has been doing it or co-founder. And then you're like, okay, this is great. We just raised a, you know, seed round or, or even maybe a series A and you go and you hire like five reps and you assume they're all going to be selling what the CEO or co-founder sold. Um, but they, they don't have the training. They don't have like the full kind of, you know, uh, maybe skill set And, um, and so, uh, and, and, um, so yeah, I've, I see that like forecasting rep productivity and, you know, one, not all the reps are going to work out. So some basic kind of forecasting and, um, and yeah, it can be a little bumpy, right. Uh, and you can, almost every company has a bad quarter, even the best companies will have like a bad quarter. And so just preparing for the worst, but, uh, you know, uh, working for the best, I say. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's ramp time, you know, have you, have you seen David Scott's work at all? He's a board uh, member for HubSpot. I think, I think, yeah, I've seen some of it. Yeah. He, he did a piece on it where he talks about um, kind of like the founder's journey and like he breaks it down simply. It's like the biggest mistakes they made is like, you know, first of all, can the founder sell it? And once the founder can sell it, can the founder plus one person sell it? Can that one person sell it? Right. And then can a team sell it? And he's like, most people just try and skip steps. So they'll go from founder to that group yeah. and then they'll have massive overhead and ramp and they won't account for it. And they will be years behind where they, they should have been if they just kind of incrementally did it. And I see that too. I mean, most of the time, like, you know, you could just do things intuitively if you built the product, you've been so ingrained in the business, but you don't have playbooks. You don't have exact like sequences or follow-ups that you need to do to systemize kind of that, that algorithm that's inside the founder's head. You know what I mean? It's it's a lot easier if you have clear product market fit and you have inbound demand. Right. And I've worked with companies, it's both ways. So like a company that has almost no, no product market fit or demand that is extremely hard. It can be excruciating. Um, and some of those companies, you know, fail, it's natural. Like, like you're taking risk and startups are risky and some are going to fail. It's natural. But, um, but then I've, I've worked at ones that have just, it's almost like you just, you're flooded with demand. Um, and then in between where you have like a, a decent product. And, uh, um, so it, it comes in all forms, uh, for sure. So, so what do you think? I mean, what's the key differentiation point between those that are flooded with demand versus it, those that aren't, I mean, is it, and I know a part of it is like the problem you're solving, Right. I mean, that's a the huge prob- piece of it's it. the problem. It's the it's the usability. It's the approachability of like the business model. So there's usually like uh, I think when you're flooded, there's like a there's at least a free trial, if not like a free you know full offering you can use on an ongoing basis, whether that's open source or not. Um, and then um, so you, you can get started for free, basically. Uh, and then uh, even getting like community support or office hours or whatever is appropriate. Those are kind of more for the geeky companies, uh, maybe in the open source world. Um, but, uh, also just, just the information, like the usability just to get started with it. Um, and then if it's a more complicated product, um, just having like nice kind of documentation, um, or, or other types of, uh, resources, videos, et cetera, um, to make it really clear. And then, um, yeah, usually they're pretty focused products, uh, so Slack, you do messaging extremely well, or Zoom, you can do video better than anybody else. Uh, and then, um, let's see, or the database, like with Mongo, is very focused. It's a database. It wasn't, again, that thing they started with, which was a, you know, a whole hosted kind of platform, um, if you will. Um, so focused. And then um, ideally, yeah, it's just, it's way better. It's just, it's so much better. Like Zoom was so much better than, than WebEx or the other offerings. Slack was so much better. Uh, still way better than Teams, uh, even now. Uh, it, it's with all the Microsoft resources. So it's it's ideally just so much better. Mongo is so much easier to work with and, um, you know, set up scalability and, and uh, availability with, um, in addition to the core kind of data model. Um, so, um, yeah, it's usually unique and very focused and um, very inexpensive and uh, very easy to get started with. Unique, very focused, very inexpensive, and then easy to start, low barrier to entry, right? Um, okay, that, I think that's a that's a great kind of framework to follow if you're you're developing a product, uh, especially if you're going from that bottoms up approach. So, so Kurt, I guess like shifting gears a little bit, I, what would you say is like your number one 
or top couple ninja skills that you have that make you that you're potentially best in the world at? Ah, best in the world. Uh, I, I would say uh, positioning is one. So I've been doing sort of positioning. I mean, you position yourself when you apply to college, uh, you go to grad school, you're positioning when you're writing those essays or applying, filling out your application. Positioning yourself when you're interviewing for different jobs, which I've done many times, like I'm sure you have and others. Uh, and then you're, uh, I've been lucky at a company to where I can, uh, at a product level, marketing level, or um, uh, run sale, a sales team as well, uh, or at the company level now as a CEO, positioning the company, positioning the products and the services. Um, and uh, so just, I'd say positioning in general um, and, uh, you know, making it specific, but credible, backing it up, you know, telling a great story. But again, don't, don't take it too far and, you know, keep your, keep your ethics in place. Uh, I'd say, I'd say positioning, particularly for, for B2B um, SaaS products, um, but really technology in general and um, perhaps other types of companies as well. But there's enough tech companies to, uh, to help. I haven't really had to go elsewhere. Um, and, uh, team building, I, I'm not going to say I'm the best of the world. I'm, I'm sure I'm not, uh, but I'd say team building is a critical skill. Um, just as uh, people who want to want to be, or already are a manager or executive or uh, someone who's running the company. Um, the team is everything. Uh, the team helps you build the products and start the company and grow the business and, um, serve the customers. And so those, that's one I, I like to, um, Get, get as good as I can at, but positioning, I'm, I'm sure I stack a little bit higher, but I also won't say I'm the best in the world at positioning, but uh, maybe if positioning B2B subscription products for um, certain types of um, companies like uh, data centers and cloud companies, maybe I am the best of the world, but, uh, but uh, I, I won't get ahead of myself for sure. Thanks. Well, uh, you know, and, and I know that's a hard question to say you're best in the world at something. So we're not going to hold, I'm not going to hold you to that, man. I'm not going to put it out there. Um, but what I would say, thanks. but so what's your mental model when you, when you, you, you finish that on the end, like B2B SaaS subscription, you know, how do you approach it in, and how do you accelerate growth when you're, when you're, when you're looking at a company you're advising or, you know, you're the CEO of the company. How do you approach that? Uh, well, I think you have to kind of look internally. You have to look externally. So you're looking at the market. You're looking at the other companies you're competing with or they're competing with. Um, you have to know the product pretty well. Sometimes uh, people get into trouble um, by just not knowing the product really well or the competition really well. And you're all it's kind of like you're just kind of guessing or you're kind of blindfolded and you might come up with something that sounds really nice, but it just it won't hit when you go out to the market uh, in terms of being kind of unique, memorable, uh, and incredible. Um, and you know, you see, I remember I, I don't see as much now, but I used to see a while back, like you'd see like three companies or five companies in one market would all claim they're the leader, and that, that's you know that's impossible because it wasn't qualified. It wasn't like we're the leader for small business for databases or virtualization or or whatever, or we're the leader. Um, you know, for this type of database or something, uh, sometimes you would just see they're the leader and, and, and you're like, uh, okay, I know two of these people are lying because there's no three-way ties in, in a market like that. Um, uh, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I used to see, that. I don't see that as much anymore, but yeah, just making it credible and, um, you know, working through the team with it, uh, testing it with customers, you know, testing it with the sales team versus the marketing team versus the product team. So, as a CEO, I can just get everyone in my weekly call or a different kind of, you know, offsite or something. 
uh, and just, uh, you know, test it, really test it, put it through its paces um, and not doing it in isolation. Uh, I've worked at companies where it's just the CEO just does it or just marketing does it or the CEO with marketing. But I like to do it with everyone. Head of product, uh, head of technology, head of sales. Um, and it uh, doesn't necessarily always change, but you know that you've kind of tested through different angles and they've all talked to different customers. They have different kind of feedback or some know certain competitors uh, better than better than others. So, yeah, I'd say looking outside, looking internally, asking a lot of people and then just putting in the effort like it's whether you're doing your own uh, um, college application or a resume later in life. Uh, you just put in like a little extra effort. It can be the difference. Right. It's like a professional athlete. A little bit better. It could mean you make 10 times as much money. You um, cannot be professional athletes, but uh, some of the, some of the entrepreneurs in technology obviously do quite well. Um, actually, even better. Um, if you look at the world's wealthiest people, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd say just put in the effort and um, you know, getting help as well. Like maybe you can yourself if you just keep spending more, a little more time on a little more time, a little more effort, uh, you might be able to make it really awesome. But some people clearly need the help. Um, so just having people kind of look at it, especially if it's something important like your company uh, elevator pitch or your mission or your vision. Um, those are things you should, if you don't spend a lot of time on, um, you hopefully get lucky and create something really good, but otherwise you might be kind of, um, you might not be, um, you know, doing the, the optimal thing. All right. So that's a writer downer. It's a writer downer, right? Yeah. There's a lot in there, but you know, what I, what I took the, the key takeaways are like you're saying, testing it across the, the three core areas of your business, right? That's sales, marketing, and the product side in terms of messaging and what people respond to and position, I think that's awesome because it's, it's I mean, sales one-on-one -on -one is totally different than one-to-many. You know, there, there is overlap, but there's, and then product, same thing too. You get, a lot of times when someone's your customer, they'll give you like, all right, this is what I really think feedback, you know, which is amazing. Yeah, um, um, that's so true. Yeah, whether it's like a virtual Zoom call for sales now or, um, I used to I used to love going to these. Uh, I mean, probably I'll go again, but not as much. But these physical events where you could uh, uh, prospects and customers kind of test different ways of positioning, and then you could kind of bring that back. Uh, and sometimes the customers bring words you haven't even thought of that are like, "Wow, that's, totally, that's really a great word to use for this." Yeah. Well, and here's 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 the the great question that unearthed so many areas that I didn't even know of, like when I was leading a team, and but um, after a customer bought. And, you know, you're in the middle of it, not usually like the implementation meeting, but you're a little bit past that. Right. And, you know, you're past the the I guess you're still in the honeymoon stage or whatever <clears throat> of the relationship. But you're just kind of like, hey, so what's the real reason why you guys bought from us? Mm -hmm. Like and they're like, well, you know, the ROI was three times what we but you put up there or like but basically no, no this helped our prices. inventory. No raise prices. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you'll, you'll get the like. Almost like the like if you ask someone when they were drunk what the real reason is, they'll just tell you. You know, it's kind of like that, right? So, anyways, um, and then you know, you're one of the few people that I really heard uh, identify, and I've interviewed a lot of founders about focusing on the vision and the mission and and testing that. Most folks don't do that, um, so I think that's a really critical call out there. So I think those are you know um, really really great areas to, to focus on if, if you're building a business. I think it's important uh, not only for the internal team to know that you work at a company that has a mission and a vision and, and values, but also I think the, I don't know if I can prove this, but I think the customers, your customers and your partners and 
and everyone else that touches your company uh, in solutions. I think they would appreciate that you uh, have have uh, put this down as well. Love that. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this question because you, you come from a place of experience. Why are founders obsessed with with getting funding or selling their company? Oh, um, that's a good question. Yeah, some some people do seem to be uh, overly obsessed with it. Um, I mean, it's it's an important activity and it uh, typically requires a lot of work. And so you want to put in the right amount of work, but you don't want to only focus on that. Um, kind of like the companies that you know focus too much on parties early on before you even have product market fit. Um, uh, that, that I think happens less, especially during the pandemic, but, uh, even before the pandemic, uh, that was more famous during the dot-com, uh, boom and that kind of thing. But, uh, um, yeah, I think it's, it's important, but you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to focus too much on it. Selling your company. Uh, I mean, when you're ready to sell your company and you have something of value to sell, then you can, I don't know if you want to be obsessed with it, but you want to put in the right thoughtfulness in it, have a, have a good approach, make sure you're working with the right People like uh, I recommend, highly recommend having a having a banker, um, and uh, a great one, and and just kind of do it. If, uh, again, I wouldn't obsess with it, but I, I might obsess with how you do like a meeting with a potential buyer to make sure you've kind of researched everyone that kind of thing, like a healthy obsession, but just an obsession in terms of the process or the goal, especially when you're not ready for that goal. Um, some some companies are try, obsessing over like financing uh, when they just you know raise money or something, and they really should be focused on just getting that next uh, step of progress down. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know, I don't love the obsession word. Um, so but I'm sure I'm sure it's out there, and and uh, I think um, you need to switch gears obviously when you're uh, starting and growing a company, but you also need to have some some balance as well. Yeah. No, I. I, and the, where the word obsessed comes from is it's it's like pounded in the press. And then on top of it, you know, um, there's a lot of early stage founders that I've spoken to that, you know, I'm like, what's your number one priority? And they're like getting funding. And I'm like, well, that's good. <clears throat> but like, have you created a business that where you can actually sell what you have first or create revenue without needing that? So it's almost looked at as kind of like the pill that'll make you lose 20 pounds in like a week. Totally. You know, um, versus like something to augment the speed of what you already have, you know? Yeah, so. I think it's, it's something it's something necessary you need to do. And at certain points of time, you do need to be, that needs to be your number one activity if you're going through the fundraising process or whatever, or the, the round raising process. But, but yeah, obsessing over it too much, too early on or at the wrong time, I, I agree. Uh, well, and, and, you know, I mean, this is timely because I know you you just helped sell Ubersmith, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what was your number one learning experience from going through that process? Um, uh, you're very good at, uh, at, at uh, making, making us focus the answer. That's great. I, I would say um, that's a number one thing might have been just uh, the the trust with the potential buyer. So we had a lot of buyers... Um, kind of uh, play games like smaller private equity firms uh, you have to be really careful um, they'll put in a bid and then a few weeks later after they get their kind of like exclusivity clause with you to like focus on you know working through that bid they'll uh, say oh we don't like your TAM or we don't like this other thing and we're like um, are you sure you don't like our TAM we create billing software which is super critical and any 
company on the planet can use it of any size. Uh, and we have all these like specific, <laughs> by the way, opt, um, features for billing that no one else has. Um, and, and you're calling that TAM too small and the billing is one of the largest markets in the world for software. So is this right. really the conversation we're having, right? Is this really why you want to drop your price by 30% or 50% two weeks later? You sure it's not due to some other reason? Um, and, and so, yeah, there's a lot of game playing. So if you're selling a small company, if you're selling like Slack or something, you're not going to have the games. I think it's more about finding the right home for the business and the right long-term kind of shared roadmap. And then, you know, the right price and, and, and terms and everything. There's a small company, smaller company, which is what probably most companies are when they try to go sell because there's more small companies than large companies, obviously, and medium companies, is, uh, yeah, just to know who you're talking to and hopefully the bankers can help you. But uh, in, the, in, in our case, I mean, the bankers were extremely helpful, but um, it's very hard even for them to predict um, who's, who's legit, who might play games and whatever. So just going in, just being prepared for people to... Uh, kind of play games. And we ended up going with somebody who we just really trusted, had a great track record of acquiring a lot of companies. They've actually acquired uh, over 500. Um, wow. So just a tremendous track record over decades versus some of these other firms. They, you know, maybe a, a year or two old, they say they have a fund or uh, they say they have the money, but you know, then you talk to them and they're like, Oh, we're not going to have a problem getting money for this. I'm like, wait, I thought, oh, yeah, I thought you had a fund, but you had the money. No, they're going to actually go out and like scrounge for this investment. And the investors, you know, maybe they want something else. They don't want uh, billing. They want B two C or something. Um, so yeah, just just trust and and just um, being honest with yourself who you're talking to and and that kind of thing. And uh, trying to if they have concerns, uncover those before you sign those uh, indication of interest documents or the uh, the LOIs um, that kind of thing. Excellent. Well, that's that's uh, excellent advice. And we're we're up on time now, Kurt. So. Um, love the insight that you dropped during this episode. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about you, about Ubersmith, um, and kind of what you're doing right now? Sure. I'm on uh, Twitter. So it's Kurt O. Daniel, K-U-R-T-O-D-A-N-I-E-L. And um, um, uh, our website is ubersmith.com and um, in other places as well. But those are the two best ones. And um, love to uh, to meet new people, follow new people, and, and get exposure to, to their ideas as well. So thanks for asking. Excellent. Yeah, man. It was a pleasure having you on the show. I just love your your depth of experience across a lot of different areas. Brought some really amazing insights to the show. So thank you for being on, man. It was, it was a pleasure getting a chance to, to chop it up with you. Thanks, Ryan. Loved it. And uh, have, have a great day. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.